Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I feel this way, and I hope you do as well, that I want to get better as I get older. And I think if, if we follow Jesus, I think there'll be some of that in all of us, that we want to get better as we get older. We want to get better at what we do, maybe our career or our craft, and we want to get better at the way we think and better at handling our emotions and better at how we do relationships. I think we all want to get better as we get older. So about a half dozen times over the years, I've been privileged to see the Eagles in concert, my favorite rock and roll band of all time. Uh, not only have the Eagles been fantastic to watch, but the people watching at their concerts has been spectacular. And this last time in May when I saw them at the BOK Center, they did not disappoint, or the concert goers did not disappoint. Uh, it was me and my wife and my oldest daughter and my oldest son, and we were all sitting there getting ready for the concert to start, and we saw a, a woman sitting right behind our son who looked to be mid, late 70s. And let's just say that she had already found a party somewhere before the concert. She was feeling good, pretty good before the evening even began. And as the concert went on and she had a, a few other icy cold beverages to drink, she began to dance around rather seductively. Hey, no judgment zone. Everyone can do what they're going to do. But then as the concert went on and she continued to dance, she, she began to lean forward. My son was sitting right in front of her, kind of began to rub his shoulders, and he, she'd kind of nudge him, and when he, she'd, he'd turn around, he kind of, she'd do this. It, it got a little strange. So I leaned over at one point at the concert, and I said, Caleb, do you want to, if you're uncomfortable, I'll, I'll trade places with you. He said, no, I'm fine, Dad. I go, no, really, let me trade places with you, because I'd like to get, you know, be there for a while. I didn't. So I thought about that evening, and I thought about this lady you know, mid-70s, feeling good, and I thought, you know, there, there's some good and bad messaging in what I saw in her. First of all, I would like to be a little bit more like that as I get older. I would like to be more joyful, and I would like to be freer with who I am as I get older. Now, with a little less creepiness and a little less of a chemical crutch, but I think we all want to get better, not worse, as we get older. So Job is the old man of the Bible. And what I mean by that is his book, the book of Job, book named after him, uh, is the oldest book in the Scripture. It was probably the first story, the first account biblically that was ever written down, pen put to parchment, right? But also Job goes back a long way. The events of his life happened about 2000 BC, which would put him right around the time of Abraham. Isn't it good to know that as God was dealing with Abraham, he was also working with Job, and God seems to be at work at, at many times and in, in various places. God's always at work. And Job, as he got older, his life just got better and better and better up to a point. So it all begins to unravel in Job chapter 1. By the way, let, let's look at his life just from a couple of different angles. Uh, let's look at his life from the outside it seemed that Job had it all together. In fact, Job chapter 1, and here's what you need to understand, is um, in the Bible, 10 is the number of completion. Why is that? Well, when a baby's born, if they have 10 fingers, 10 toes, they're said to be complete. 
uh, God's Ten Commandments. Here's a complete understanding of what God wants from us. Well, you hear about Job's family. He had seven sons and three daughters. Round, count that up. That's, that's ten. Okay. It seemed that Job's family, from the outside, everything looked perfect. There's a couple in Rockford, Michigan, Chad and Barbie Soper. <laughs> they had their first child on August 8, 2008. 8808 was that child's birthday. Then they had their next child, September 9, 2009, 9909. Then they had their third child on November 10, 2010, 101010. I mean, it just perfectly planned. Everything worked out just fine. Everything looked perfect on the outside. Not only did Job's family look perfect, but his business was going gangbusters. Uh, he had, uh, let, let me make sure I get these stats right, he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Well, you add that up, that's 10,000. Again, a factor of 10, everything looked perfect. He had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkey. Count that up, that's 1,000, another factor of 10. His business on the outside, everything seemed to look perfect. Pablo Escobar, the kingpin of the Mexican drug cartel. At one point, he was making so much money, get this, that he spent $7,000 a month just on rubber bands to hold his money together. How much money do you have to make that you have to spend $7,000 on, on rubber bands? Well, that was Job. Everything in his business was up and to the right. Everything seemed to be perfect on the outside. So let's not only look at his life from the outside, let's look on, it, on his life from above for just a moment. So in Job chapter 1, there's this scene that happens between Satan and God, where God says, I look at all the earth, and here's, here's Job, and, and Satan kind of raises this question, you know, God, does, does Job only love you because of the stuff you give him? Does he love you, or does he love your blessings? And God allows Satan to begin to dismantle Job's life. Now, if we're not careful, we get all caught up trying to figure out the, the intricacies of this conversation between God and Satan, and, and it's easy to get distracted by that and miss the main point. And the main point is this, it kind of asks us all the question, do you love God for Him or for the blessings that He gives you? As a theologian from a long time ago said, many of us love God like we love a cow, for the milk and the meat, you know, for the benefits, for the blessings. We might say today that we love God like we love a car. You know, we want Him to get us where we want to go, and we want to look stylish in getting there. And by the way, we want good gas mileage. You know, do we love God for God or for His benefits? And then Satan even takes it a step further, and he says, you know what? What if God, the only thing you ever gave Him was suffering? What if you never even gave Him an explanation as to why He is suffering? And what if you pulled away from Him even a sense of your presence in His life? In the medieval times, when somebody would go to the marketplace and they would buy a piglet, you wouldn't want little piglets running around the marketplace, so you'd put, you'd put a piglet in a bag, in a, like a burlap sack, and sell them that way. And there was more than one crafty merchant, instead of putting a piglet in a bag, would put a cat in the bag. So when the farmer got home and let the cat out of the bag, he discovered that he would have been gypped. That's where that phrase comes from, by the way, to let the cat out of the bag. Satan says to God, what if, what, if you never give God what if you ever give Job nothing but suffering? You don't give him any explanation. You don't even give him a sense of your presence. God, you don't let the cat out of the bag as to why you're doing this, and Job is left to wonder why. Will he love you anyway? 
So we've looked at Job's life from the outside. Everything seemed to be good. We've looked at Job's, from, Job's life from the top side, and, and things were about to go terribly wrong from Job's point of view. I want to take one more look at Job's life, then we're going to jump into the text. Uh, Job's life from the inside of his own mind. Because we're going to look at Job chapter 3, and we're going to read through this long prayer that he gives to God. But at the very end, he says this in verse 25, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Get this. On the outside, Job's life seemed like it was perfect. But on the inside, in his head right here, Job for a long time had lived a life of anxiety. He lived with the fear that the worst thing that could happen to him would actually come to pass. He feared, and maybe you live with the fear that the worst that can happen to you is that your worst fear will happen to you. So on the outside, things seemed to look just fine, but on the inside, Job was, was a mess. So when the worst thing that he fears could happen to him does actually happen to him, his whole life unravels. He loses his children. He loses his business. Uh, even his friends turn on him. Job pours out this anxiety and this anxiousness to God. And that's where Job chapter 3 comes in. How does Job deal with the anxiety that, that the fear that he had lived with for so long had actually come to pass? How did he deal with God on this? So here's what I've learned about poetry is you can't outline it. You can't do a strict outline of, of Job chapter 3. But in poetry, generally, there's movements. Okay, so we're going to see Job do do three things here. We're going to see him curse the circumstances that he's in. We're also going to see him question God. God, why are you letting this happen? And then we're going to see Job just be resolved and dissolved into tears as he cries out before God. Okay. So I want you to think about those three movements, and there's a lot of the grief cycle in there that he curses, that he questions that he cries out, all right? Now, listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying it's right that we should do these things before God. And I'm not saying it's wrong that we should do these things. I'm saying that this is what we will do. Being human and being human beings, when we get topped out with stress or anxiety, this is how we are going to respond that we are going to curse the circumstances, that we are going to question God, that we are going to cry out. And there's nothing necessarily right or wrong about these things. It's just humans wrestling with God. So let's walk through these phases and stages with Job. Job chapter 3, verse 3. May the day of my birth perish, and the night that it was said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on that day. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, not be entered into any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard from it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are, already, who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of the dawn. 
for it had not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide the trouble from my eyes. Remember we talked about ten a minute ago and how it's a, a picture of completeness? Well, here, ten times in these ten verses, Job refers to darkness. He said, I want one day to be shrouded in complete darkness. And by the way, darkness is a, an anti-picture of creation. In Genesis, God said, let there be light. And Job is saying, let there be darkness. Light's an incredible thing. Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star to earth, it takes over four years for light to reach that star, our planet. If you look up at the sun, you're not seeing where the sun is at that moment, you're seeing where the sun was eight minutes and 20 seconds ago because that's how long it took for light to travel from the surface of the sun to your retina. If you look at the moon, the light, reflected light from there, travels to your eye in one second. Light is a mysterious and a strong and a penetrating thing. Job said, but I want no light to be on one day, the day of my birth. I curse the day I was born because my life feels cursed right now. I think we all know, those of you especially who have lost loved ones, that there are some days that are harder than others, right? Even if you lost your dad years ago, you still remember the day your dad died. If you lost your spouse, you remember your wedding anniversary, their birthday. In fact, that first anniversary of their death, people will often say, I've got to stay busy on that day because that will be a hard day. That will be a dark day for as long as I live. That's what Job feels about his own whole life, and he curses God, excuse me, he curses to God about his life. So as he pours out this anger, then he moves into, from cursing to questioning, why? Verse 11, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came out of the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breast on which I might nurse? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with the kings and the rulers of the earth who built themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. And why? Why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Then the wicked cease from turmoil and the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. This was in a day where really the idea of an afterlife hadn't been developed all that much, and, and the afterlife was just looked at as a place of rest and a place where struggle ceases. And Job said, why could that have not been me? There's a brewer in Australia. It's called Seven Cent Brewery. Uh, they have three very unique brands of beer, okay? So this Seven Cent Brewery, it's run by three primary brewers. Uh, one day they got this wild idea and they each took swabs of their belly buttons. From that, they grew a culture of yeast, each one of them. And from that yeast, they developed the yeast until it was used in brewing beer. So they have three <laughs> brands of beer called belly button beer, each developed from a belly button of one of the brewers. So my only question I have when I hear that story is, why? Why? And by the way, when I get the group together on Sunday morning, I'm going to say, okay, you know, alcohol notwithstanding, 
How many of you would take a drink of something like that? And how many of you would never take a drink of something like that? I think my worst fear is I would take a drink and I would find some belly button lint or something like that. But you go, you know, why? That, that's just, that seems such like a crazy idea. And Job is confused. Why is this happening of all people to me? And he questions God and he questions the wisdom of God and he questions why this has to be happening to his life. As I think about Job cursing and Job crying out, I think about somebody else in the Bible whose name is Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus would say, my God, my God, why? And Jesus, too, would curse, and Jesus, too, would cry out. So theologians have wrestled for a long time about when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some theologians believe that God left Jesus at that moment, that, that God was not there at the cross. I completely disagree. I think God was never more present with anybody than he was with Jesus. I mean, why would Jesus be talking to somebody who's not there to begin with? My God, my God, why? And at the end of his life, he would say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's still talking to God. He knows God is there, but he just can't feel him. Here's the thing I want you to get. When you're topped out with anxiety and you feel like God is nowhere to be found, you need to remember that that is just a feeling. God is present even when you don't feel Him. In fact, many times you can't feel Him because of the anguish that you're in. But what you'll discover when you pass through this season of anxiety and you look back on it years later, you will see God clearly and you will wonder how you could have missed Him in that moment. But you did because you were so sucked into anxiety you couldn't see Him. So. If you're over the top with anxiety today, you're cursing your situation, you're questioning God, keep on. Because your questioning God may be the only way for you to affirm to yourself that He is still there after all. So then Job goes kind of into the third phase. He curses for a while, he questions, and he, then he just cries. Verse 20, why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death and it does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food, my groans pour out like water. Back to verse 25, what I feared has come on me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Listen to verse 26. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. So in verse 26, we get this nice, clean translation. But, but what you need to know is in the original Hebrew, verse 26 just kind of degenerates just a little bit in the grammar and the syntax where it almost just degenerates into a sob. Have you ever heard somebody cry so hard and they were trying to talk and you couldn't understand the words that they were saying? That's verse 26. What I'm saying is this, that crying out to God might just be the best prayer you ever pray. And I've said this before, that sometimes the best prayer you can say to God is just a a sigh. You don't know what else to say, and that sigh 
says so much more than words ever could. I'm saying the same thing when you get so overwhelmed with anxiety that all you can do is cry. That in itself is a prayer, and I know this by experience. Years and years ago, it's probably my second or third year as pastor, I decided to do a little study on the Psalms because I kept running into this phrase, I cry out, I cry out, I cry out. So I was in the middle of doing this study with the Psalms, and then something happened to one of my children. And all of a sudden, I was crying out. And by the way, everything turned out fine. But at the moment, I was crying out. And I look back now, and I see what God was doing. Instead of me studying and crying out, God, had, God wanted me to experience it. And it's a time of incredible intensity in a relationship with God that all you can do is cry out. So let's pull all this together. Job, his worst fears were coming to pass. And all he could do was question. All he could do was uh, cry out. All he could do was curse at what was happening. Again, I'm not saying those things are right or wrong. I'm saying I believe that sometimes that's all you can do. And it might be necessary. It's necessary to curse. It's necessary to question. It's necessary to cry out because if you don't do those things, you will be crushed by them. And you don't have to be. So today, if you need to curse your circumstances, curse your circumstances. Today, if you need to question what God is doing, question what God is doing. Today, if you need to cry out because words have run out, cry out to God. Because a couple of things will happen in the process of that, and we see them ultimately happen to Job, and I believe they'll happen to us as well. Before I get to that, when I shake hands with a young man, and I generally make it a point, as somebody gets to be 12, 13 years old, I'll shake their hand. I look for two things. If I don't see them, I'll instruct them. If I do see them, I'll compliment them. I want a handshake that is strong, not overbearing, not crushing, but strong, and then for that young man to look me in the eyes. Because the strength of that handshake and the eye contact will tell me this person is maturing and this person knows how to do a relationship. They know how to look somebody in the eye. I believe oftentimes God will put us through difficult times to strengthen our grip, to help us look up and make eye contact with Him. He wants us to develop that maturity and that intimacy with Him that only comes through hard-won experience. I've used a quote several times before over the years, and I heard it when I was in high school for the first time, and I used to think it was really sexy until I lived it. God will never use a person greatly until He hurts them deeply. But as I've lived on, I've added a second part to that statement. God never uses a person greatly until He hurts them deeply, but those who God hurts deeply learn to trust Him greatly. May that be you. May that be me. As we go through life, sometimes all we can do is curse, all we can do is question, all we can do is cry out, but what's being developed in us is maturity and intimacy with the one God of the universe who loves us more than anything else, more than we could possibly imagine. Father, I pray for those in the sound of my voice today who 
may be cursing their situation or maybe be questioning where they are. Maybe all they can do right now is cry out. I pray instead of all of those situations and circumstances going away, I pray that those situations and circumstances would do their perfect work to form Christ in us. It's not easy, but it's right to develop that maturity and that intimacy. And Father, to remember that you do not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And so help us tap into that growing maturity and intimacy with you that only comes through following the suffering Christ on the cross. Thank you for the glory that awaits of those who learn how to know you so well that they trust you no matter what. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.